If you would, turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. You'll see there that uh, we've got the Scripture printed out for you. Uh, If you want to follow along there, please do. Uh, It won't appear on the screen this morning because it's such a long passage of Scripture. But however you can access the Scripture, if you want to follow along with a handout, that's great. If not, please turn to it, get to it on your tablet, your smartphone, whatever. Uh, Just follow along this morning. What's happened, it seems, that has prompted Psalm 46, and understand that that every, every word in the Scripture was prompted by something, whether something had happened or somebody needed to be taught something or whatever. And so there's a situation apparently that's gone on that, that everything that maybe they thought was going to go one way has gone the other way, and their greatest fears, it seems, are all being realized. Or maybe they're anticipating that their greatest fears are going to come true and the world maybe seems to be crumbling around them. And far beyond a fear of the dark or of heights or of snakes, these are some real things that could seriously cause life to be much different for them. I wonder if that happened in your family. If things begin to crumble around you and you don't know what to do, and what would be the topic of conversation? What would be the nature of that conversation? What would be the attitude of, of leaders in the church and in the community when things begin to unravel? Would it be pandemonium? Would it be indifference? Would it be just turmoil? How would it go? And the same question was for those folks back when Psalm 46 was written. Things crumbling around them, what would they talk about? What would be the nature of their conversation? What would be their attitude? Would it be chaos? And so somebody wrote a song for future generations to remember, folks, in these times, here's what you can come back to. The Psalms were poems that were turned into songs, and these were things that the community of believers would sing together and remind one another of these great truths. And so look at it in chapter 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. From the very beginning of this poem, of this song, this declaration here is truth. A reminder to all the people, to the nation of Israel, to God's people, that God is our refuge. The word refuge there, and you'll see on the back side of of that paper, if you're following along, just a place for you to mark some notes. And there's, there's one main thing that we'll look at this morning, but a place for you to mark some notes. And feel free, I, I would encourage you, make a note in your Bible, make a note on this sheet. Something, if God speaks to you this morning, write it down. Make sure that you get it. The word refuge there is talking about the, a person to whom, a place to whom, to where we, we flee when things don't go right. If you think of it, uh, maybe during this time of year, of course, we, we'll have some severe weather from time to time. How many of you have a storm shelter? Anybody have a storm shelter? We got nobody in the whole church, so I can't call any of you if we have a tornado. Thanks a lot. I got I got nothing. There you go. I just just uh, you know, if you think of of when tornadoes will come through a, a particular area. And then folks will respond by building a storm shelter, seek out some place to go. You probably have a closet, you jump in the bathtub, you go down in the basement if you have one, all of that. That's what this is talking about. God is our, is our refuge, our storm shelter, he says. When things start to get crazy around us, when the clouds blow up and the lightning and the thunder begin to crash around us and the wind starts to blow and the rain starts to pour and the hail starts to fall from the sky and we don't know what to do, they say God is our refuge. He is our strong storm shelter. He's unchanging. 
He's not able to be toppled. You can hide yourself in Him. It says He's always found in times of trouble. Some versions will say He's an ever-present help. It means He's not hiding. It means He's ready to be found and He's enough for every situation. Now, I want you to stop for just a second. And, and I want you to look there on your handout and look at that first sentence. God is our refuge and strength. Now, I want to change that sentence because the truth is we do. So let's just get out in the open what we already do. We change this sentence all the time. You say, oh, I would never change anything in Scripture. Yeah, you do. Because the truth is, when times of trouble, when things go wrong, when the wind starts to blow and the turmoil of life comes, sometimes we cross out that word God right there and we write something else in. And I wonder if you'd be so honest this morning as to just write out to the side of that, what is it that you typically find shelter and refuge and hope in when things go wrong? Now you, you may say it's God himself, and I, and, and I hope so. But if you're honest this morning, I wonder if you would say, you know what, if I'm honest, then, then I am my refuge and strength. This substance is my refuge and strength. This person is my refuge and strength. This activity is my refuge and strength. Whatever it may be, would you be, would you be willing? I'm not going to ask you, okay? The, 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 the question and answer is over. You won't have to admit it publicly. But I wonder, would you just be so honest to say, God, you know what? I, I, I'll level with you this morning. And I, I'll ride it out to the side. You know, if I'm, if I'm honest, this is truly my refuge and strength. He says, a helper who is always found. What is it that you look for in times of trouble? You don't, it's this activity. It's this substance. It's this person. The truth is, folks, we, if I could get us to do anything, and, and, and I understand. That. I've been a pastor here for seven years. I can't make you do anything. I've tried. Um, I can't make you do anything. I'm, I'm, so, I, you know, it's okay. Uh, we, we have that agreement. You know, I can't. I can't. I, I've tried. And, and uh, you know, and then I just drive myself crazy. So I'm not going to try to make you do anything, all right? But if I could make you do anything, if I, I really... It wouldn't be to do this or that to suit my preference or do this or that to uh, the building or the parking lot or the parsonage or anything. Nothing like that. It would simply be that we drop the act and we get honest with God and we allow Him full access to our hearts. If I could make you do anything. Now the problem is I can't make you do that. Because I truly believe that that's exactly what every single person needs. Not just you and not just me, but every single person. I'd just say drop the act. Drop it. And let's be honest with God and say, God, you know what? The truth is that I don't seek you in times of trouble. Or maybe that's the only time that I seek you. Drop the act. God sometimes is in those blanks for us, and sometimes he's not. Now, today is not about shame and guilt. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. It's just about reality. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's truly evaluate, is God and God alone, not God plus something else, is God alone my refuge and my strength, the helper that I'm seeking in times of trouble? Is God God or is he not? Verse 42, or verse uh, 2 of chapter 46, rather. Therefore, after he says that, 
We will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. We will not be afraid. That word afraid, we will not tremble. Even if the earth trembles, we won't tremble. Even if the earth shakes, we won't be shaken. Even if the mountains literally topple, that means to stagger and fall over. If the mountains literally staggered and fell over into the middle of the ocean, even if the oceans swallowed up the highest peaks that we can imagine, even if the ocean makes all kinds of noise and threatens to send in a tidal wave, even if all of that were to happen, which would have been the end of the world as they knew it, What's the declaration? We will not be afraid. The mountains for the ancient people were a symbol of strength, stability, security, permanence, things that were never going to change. They're the rock. And the oceans, especially for the Hebrew people, were scary. They weren't ocean people. Now, I know a lot of you probably like to go to the lake, and boy, you love to be on the water. They were scared to death. I mean, that's their darkness, that's their height, that's their snake. They were scared of water. They weren't, they weren't into that in any way. They didn't look at, go, hey, let's go out on the Mediterranean Sea and just have a great day. They were terrified. And so the seas, the oceans, they were symbols of chaos and danger. And so... The mountains, what was so secure for them, what was so permanent for them, falling into what was so chaotic for them was worst case scenario. It's the end of the world. It's everything breaking loose. They don't know what to do. It's worst case scenario. They can't imagine anything else. It's as if the world would have been taken back to its uncreated, unformed state before God spoke everything into existence and it takes it back to all of that where there's just water covering the surface of the earth. There's nothing. It's over. And yet, we will not be afraid. There is a river, verse 4. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Now, there's no river in Jerusalem. So this is figurative. And it's, it, it, some of the terminology that's used here is sort of like for a canal or an irrigation channel. So think of that maybe even in farming terms where you're trying to irrigate a field and you cut some, some paths and some canals and so on so that everybody and everything has access to the life-giving power that water brings. So it's figurative. The river symbolizes here the, the spiritual sustenance that God brings to the city of Jerusalem. So it says there's a river its streams, its canals, its irrigation channels delight the city of God, fills it up, gives it life. The holy dwelling place, the most high, talking about Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 5, God is within her. God lives in this city. His specialized presence is right there in the city, and she will not be toppled. What, it? What, what could be toppled? The mountains, they might stagger and fall, but God's city, where God exists, that will not be toppled. That won't stagger and fall. And he goes on, verse 6. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when he, when God, lifts his voice. The word rage there to make, means to make lots of noise. Just to be boisterous and growl and have turbulent behavior and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Nations are doing all of this. It says kingdoms topple. There's that word again. They stagger around and they may fall. 
All that is happening in Psalm 46. As the psalmist looks around and sees the nations all in an uproar, wanting to fight each other, nobody's happy, and you did this, and so we're going to do this. All my allies are going to rally to my cause, and yours can rally to yours. And, and, and then they fight. And then some nations will topple over and be overtaken. That was going on back then, and I think about the lifetimes of the people in this room and what we have seen in our lifetimes And if we just started in the 1940s, how much we have seen the nations rage and kingdoms topple. Japan went from an empire to giving up so much of its territories. Germany went from trying to take over the world to being split to being back together. Now it's not really a world power. The Soviet Union went from not being there to being there with several several countries to then being broken apart, to now threatening to do it all over again, and who knows what will happen next. We've seen World War II, we've seen Korea, we've seen Vietnam, we've seen the Gulf War, we've seen the War on Terror, and we've seen a lot of stuff in between, and that's only since 1940-ish. <laughs> Nations rage, kingdoms topple, and guess what? The psalmist says, God lifts His voice and the earth melts. You know, it's interesting that those nations will rage and they'll fight and their leaders believe that they're the ones truly influencing the course of human history. Oh, I'm so important. I'm the president of this or that. I'm the king of this or that. And I'm so important. And everything rises and falls with my decision. And the psalmist says all God has to do is speak and it's all over. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now, we just sang some songs and they had a chorus. You know, that you repeat. This is a chorus because it'll be repeated. This is a song, a poem meant to be read, meant to be sung. And so here's the chorus. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. They knew that during that time, God's special and His localized presence was found among His people in the city of Jerusalem. God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. When it says Lord of hosts, that means He is an army warrior. And He brings lots of army warriors with Him. He is the God of the angel armies, as the song says. They had confidence that the God who had gotten it all started for them, the God of Jacob... You realize that God was referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to remind them of here's who I got it all started with and who I reminded of my promises and over and over and over. That's the God you can count on today. The same God back then, the same God today. The one who had kept all of his promises even though the Israelites had failed miserably. Let me tell you, you ever feel like a failure, read the Old Testament. You got nothing on Israel. They're the biggest bunch of losers that you ever saw in your life. And I, I mean that as, as sincerely as I they, oh, they They'll tell God, oh, we're going we're gonna to follow you. And the next minute, they're worshiping a golden calf. Okay. God, we're going to follow you. We'll take the promised land until we saw it and we got scared. God, we're not sure we can do this now. Oh. Every time, though... Every time they failed, 
Every time they didn't have faith or courage or hope or they sinned or they did what God said not to do, every single time God showed up, renewed his promises and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I never change. I'm true every single time. I'll be your retreat. I'll be your stronghold. I'll be your storm shelter every time. Verse 8, come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He burns up the chariots. That's a little different view of God, isn't it? Oh, God is love. Certainly He is. And He's powerful as well. God has the power, he's making the connection here, the psalmist is, to do far more than any raging nation ever thought about doing. God has the power to end it all with one word. God has the power to make the wars cease. God is in control. He is God. That's the point that the author is making. These nations, these leaders, they may rage and they may rise up and they may think there's something and everybody may think there's something for a while, but God is God. Not them. Verse 10 is a familiar verse maybe to some if you've read this before and you probably have read it in a different translation. I'll refer to that in a second. Here's what it says. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Cease striving. Be still and know that I am God. Now believe it or not, this isn't a verse that was first meant to calm down individual believers. Okay, this wasn't, this wasn't pastoral counseling, and the guy who's writing it is speaking to someone, and he just says, look, you just need to calm down, and remember, God is God. Now, that has application, certainly. This, this is, however, a quote. And look at who's speaking. Be still, or cease striving, stop your fighting, and know that what? That I am God. Who's talking? God. Who's he talking to? Everybody. Everybody. He's referred here to all these nations that rage and so on, and God can do this and God can do that. Stop your fighting. God just says it to everybody. He's not just talking to his people. He's talking to everybody. In military terms, it would be attention. Come to attention, stand there at attention, and recognize that I am God. Stop what you're doing. Put down the sword. Stop fighting and recognize that I am God, he says. Now on a personal level, of course, that applies too. Only when we stop doing what we're doing, only when we stop our frantic pace of life and peel back, can we see and hear and experience that God is God. It's only then that we can truly know that He is God. And I think that's, that's got to be partly why God stressed the importance of Sabbath rest so often in the Scripture. It's an opportunity just to stop what we're doing. You realize that the Sabbath doesn't necessarily mean you've accomplished everything you want to. It just means, you know what, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to spend time in the presence of the Lord. We'll talk about Sabbath some other time, but... I think there's a reason why God stressed it so much. Because in the pace of life that we run at, it's sometimes hard to remember that He is God. I wonder what's keeping you from that kind of mentality. 
When you look at Psalm 46.10 and you say, just know that I am God. What, what is it? What's keeping you from the kind of mentality that you can simply know in every situation that He is God? Is it your pace of life? I'd imagine for some. You know, when we, get, when we gather here and we ask, hey, how was your week? Aside from the obligatory, oh, it was good, how was yours? You know what I hear second most? Busy. Oh, I was busy. How you guys doing? You all right? Yeah, just busy. What do you got going on next week? Well, we're pretty busy. How about the week after that? I imagine it'll be busy too. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we're just, we either are or we think we are a very busy people. And I wonder for some, in the midst of all of that, do you forget? Do you fail to pause? And remember the truth here. To stop what you're doing and take a break and come to attention and say, You are God. Is it wasted time? Is it, is it the time that you've spent on your device or your computer or your social media networks that are time-consuming? Is it things that, like the writer of Ecclesiastes said, that just cause you to chase the wind? Is that, is that the thing? Is, are those the things that are keeping you from the mentality that just says, God, you know what? I'm going to stop and recognize that you are God. And verse 11 closes with the chorus. Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He says it once more like the chorus of the song. This is the theme, no matter what happens. God is God. He is with us. He's our storm shelter. He's our strength to make it through to the other side. He never changes. He can be trusted. And that was the chorus for them. That was their theme song. And I wonder for us, are we the same? Can, can we in every stage of life, can we in every situation have that chorus come back and we just simply say, you know what, the God, the Lord of hosts is my stronghold. The God of Jacob is my stronghold. The Lord is with me. Think about your worst case scenario. And this isn't being way up high in the dark with snakes. Maybe for some you say, well, yeah, that is kind of my worst case scenario. But well, Let's think about it in terms of maybe some more real life stuff. What would be worst case for you? What would be like your world coming undone? Like truly the things that are the mountains in your world, the unchanging, always stable things, collapsing and being overrun by everything that's chaotic and unpredictable. What would it be? If you think about it right now, how are the mountains staggering for you? I mean, what seems to be just holding on by a thread? And you say, it's not very much time, it seems, until that big tidal wave comes in and wipes everything out. You've got a little space on the back of your bulletin there. I wonder if you just say, you know what, right now, here it is. <laughs> here are the mountains, and here's that tidal wave. And what's stable for me is about to fall right in the middle of all that stuff. Would you write, would you write it down? I mean, just, just to, so you see it. 
And you make an admission to the Lord. You know what, God? Here it is, right here. And I wonder in those situations, who or what is God for you? I asked you to write that down maybe a little bit earlier. As you think about your, your current situation, the things that are toppling, the things that are staggering, the things that you're not sure they're going to continue to stand, and you don't know what to do, and the tidal wave is coming in, those things, and then in that, what is God for you? I wonder if sometimes the reason we're so anxious, the reason we're so afraid, the reason that we freak out so much is because we don't really trust God. Because we live as if God really isn't God. He's there, but He's not really God. I mean, you know, there's, this stuff's big, you know. As if He's limited or He's unaware or He's unconcerned. I want to give you, as I close, three scriptures that you can write down and go back and study. And then a question. The first scripture is John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus talking to his disciples and they were wondering what life was going to be without him. And he had promised to send his Holy Spirit and we need to understand that. that. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died, he was raised again, he ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of believers. And Jesus was telling them all of these different things and he, he gets to this particular verse and he just comes out with it. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. And I realize that for some, we, we maybe claim a faith in Jesus so that we won't have any trouble. <laughs> and the exact opposite is true. In this world, he says, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, have courage, lift up your head, because I have overcome the world. How did Jesus overcome the world? What is our greatest enemy? Our greatest enemy is sin and death. And Jesus went to the cross to overcome both of those. To set us free from our sin and to give us freedom, to give us victory over the penalty from, of sin and the power of sin, which is to, to, to kill us, to make us spend eternity apart from Him in hell. I've overcome the world, He says. And then Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, pray. You say, well, is, it, is it that simple? I didn't write it, but it seems to be. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. I, I sent my, my old youth pastor a text message this week, and I said, I'm preaching Psalm 46 this week, and I'm reminded of an old song that we used to do. Now, I'll spare you me singing the song. <clears throat> but the words, the words went something like this, cast, I, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I cast all my cares upon you. 1 Peter chapter 5 says it this way, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. 
the question that I want to leave you with this morning is, if God is God, then why am I so whatever? Why am I so scared? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so upset? You fill in the blank. If God is God, talk to yourself this morning. If God is God, why am I so afraid? Why am I so overwhelmed? Why am I so... You fill in it. Fill in the blank. Because if God is God, and Jesus really did come, and really did die for our sins, and really did rise again, and really does promise eternal life, both for eternity and for now, those benefits of eternal life. If God is God, then what on earth do I have to worry about? I know it's not that easy, but it really is that simple. I know it's a battle, and I'm not trying to make light of it, because trust me, I get beaten up all week long by the scripture I'm about to preach to you each Sunday. And I had situations this week where I had to ask myself that question over and over and over and over again, and sometimes I believed it and sometimes I didn't. If God is God, God, are you God or not? Am I going to believe that God is God? Am I going to look at the whole of Scripture and say from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God is God and everywhere in between? So that means from the beginning of my life to the end, from the time I was conceived until all eternity, God is God and everywhere in between. Am I going to believe that or am I not? If God is God, why am I so whatever? It's a question, I think, for every situation. Big, small, big to you, small to others, whatever. And maybe this morning you'd simply close your time here with a simple prayer for every situation. God, you are God, and I trust you. As I said, if I could make you do anything, it would be to drop the act that all Christians have. (laughs) Drop the act and just say, God, I'm struggling. God, I don't trust you. God, I'm not even sure if you're there. God, I don't understand all of this stuff. God, I need your help, and I need you to rescue me, and I need a stronghold, and I need salvation this morning. Drop the act and come humbly to the Lord and get on your knees before him and say, God, I know that you are God and I don't understand everything and I never will, but I trust you.